Hello all and welcome to Accidental Careers, the podcast where we talk to people about their jobs. Was the path there windy? Were they jobs they even knew existed? Let's find out. Today's podcast is a little different. You're going to get to meet me, the host, Lindsay Stevens. Firstly, I'll be interviewing Eloise Skinner, author, psychotherapist, founder, dancer, ex-lawyer. And then she turns the tables and interviews me. Hello, Eloise. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, fantastic. Thank you for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Um, Obviously, today we're going to talk about accidental careers, as we do on most of our podcasts. And with every guest, I'll start with asking them what they wanted to be when they were a little girl. I believe you wanted to be a lawyer. Is that right? Yeah, from quite an early age. I mean, I think that probably came around as I was um, going through school and getting a little bit older maybe before that I had some dreams of you know being like a ballerina or something that all like a lot of little girls um think about but um yeah definitely my first like stable career path um was a lawyer okay and where did that come from do you think was anybody around you in that industry where did you see that happening yeah I actually um when I I think when I was about 14 13 14 I was actually a witness to um, a traffic accident and I ended up going to court to talk about what I'd seen and kind of that experience Um, And that experience of being a witness in court um, really opened my eyes to the legal profession. And I thought, you know, it looks so um, exciting and different from other careers that I've seen. Powerful. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it kind of drew on a lot of my interests as well, like speaking, arguing (laughs) as a teenager. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was it seemed like it could be a good fit. You could use that skill in in another way. That's fantastic. It's interesting that that really sparked your interest to uh, go into court like that. Wow. Um, and law's not an easy thing. You know, it's not an easy subject, but it's a long-winded one. You have to study for a long time. Is that was that the case? Yeah, definitely. And um, they def- they certainly make you choose a little early on that you want to go into law because obviously you have to set up your subjects in a way that kind of makes sense to go to university to study law. A lot of people go into the legal profession having studied different things. So it's not necessarily the case that you can't be a practicing lawyer without, you know, having a law degree. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely, if you want, if you're thinking about studying law, um, you're certainly encouraged quite early on to think which subjects going to be best for this, what skills are going to be best for this. Um, so I was definitely thinking around 15, 16, like this is the direction that I want to go in. And then on to university to study law after that. Yeah. Yeah. Which university did you go to? Uh, Cambridge. OK, so you got good results then. <laughs> Yeah, good enough. (laughs) Fantastic. And how many years were you at Cambridge for? Uh, Three years. And then after that, I did a year doing what they call the um, legal practice course, which is like a qualifying course. And then two years in a training contract and then three years as a fully qualified lawyer. Wow. So it's really hard graft that you've been doing that for a while. Yeah, it's definitely a career path that um, you grow up a lot during that path. And I think when you start a career quite young or you start your legal studies quite young and you think, I want to be a lawyer, so I'm going to think from 16, I'll make mm-hmm. that decision. Then I'll do my A-levels in university, then qualifying, then training, then practicing. I think through all of that, you grow up a lot and you actually change quite a lot as a person as well. And so sometimes when you come out the other end as a fully qualified lawyer, you actually don't have the same motivations or passions that you had over a decade ago when you started the journey. So it can be um, quite complex in that way. Quite a big journey. And it's not what you're doing today. It's not It's not your job. We're going to talk about your accidental career, shall we say, uh, in a little while. But what made you stop practicing law? Yeah, I think over the time that I was in the legal profession, I'd started doing other things like writing and speaking and sort of mentoring. And these things were that were sort of connected to my job as a lawyer, but not 
too involved with the actual technical side of the job that I was doing and I'd started to enjoy those other parts a little bit more than I was enjoying the rest of the job so I really enjoyed like um speaking and writing books I wrote a book um for the legal profession about how to be a junior lawyer and I really loved that process of like writing and trying to explain concepts um in book form so I actually um had a book deal to write another book that was less connected to law that was more about like generally how to find purpose and things like that and then the pandemic happened <laughs> and oh, um, I had thought, <laughs> yeah it was probably a, the catalyst for a lot of career changes but mm. for me I had previously thought I will try and go part-time so I'll try and do this um, new book alongside you know doing law part-time mm-hmm. but I think with the pandemic you it kind of made me think well everything is so different now things have changed so much that actually maybe it's worth just changing completely and seeing how it goes um and in my mind I sort of thought this will be a year I'll give myself a year one year to see if it works and it's been <laughs> I think it's been three years now so mm-hmm. I mean I still am you know potentially open to going back in the future but for now yeah books and psychotherapy yeah I was going to ask you about whether you, whether you would consider going back because once you've got that I think it's always uh, you know there's always a fallback we're always going to need lawyers mm-hmm. um we're always going to need that um but like funeral directors and tax men isn't it we're always going to need those as well mm-hmm. um is it, it, so it's something that you would consider going back to I think so yeah I mean I'm not sure if I would go back to the same um previously I was in corporate law which was a very intense lifestyle mm. it was very um all-consuming it really required a lot of time and energy um and I did really enjoy it it was a great um early 20s career to kind of throw myself into but now mm. I think if I went back I would maybe go for something with a bit, a bit more balance or a bit more space or even part-time or something like that mm. that was a bit more um yeah I'd be open to it I really did enjoy law it was a um fantastic first career for me yeah absolutely so talk to me you mentioned psychotherapy in there talk to me about a little bit about that and what that entails yeah so I started training as a psychotherapist actually um about a year before I fully left my job so I was doing it part-time sort of in my own in my vacation time and time off and then when I left my job I went more fully into the training and it was a five-year part-time training and yeah it qualifies you as a general psychotherapist but my specialism is in a field called existential therapy which is really about helping people find meaning and purpose in everyday life it's a very um holistic sort of personal field of therapy where it's really addressing how you feel in the world who you are what you want to do with your time Wow, I think I need a session, Eloise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> without a doubt, I think I could do the session. It's um, and people are kind of warm into that type of thing a bit more now, aren't they? Because often, and I've talked to lots of people on the podcast, and lots of people in general life, I guess, who just um, don't realise that they're unhappy until something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whether it's a pandemic or you know other other people have kind of lost their jobs and they have to find a new way. So um, I bet I bet it's really rewarding when you see a, a client come out the other side and maybe make it positive change definitely and I think like you said it's um it's really a topic that is much more well it's always been relevant and will always be relevant you know who we Mm. are and what we're doing here but definitely now I think we're in a period of um change and a lot of development in so many different industries and people's jobs are changing so much you know with AI and the development of technology and career paths are changing so drastically and rapidly that I think a lot of people are feeling now okay well if I'm not my job if this job doesn't exist anymore or if this industry is going to change so much then what does it mean to be here and to contribute something like what am I bring what are my values what do I actually care about if it's not you know this career path that in previous years we might have just thought oh I'll have this career because you know, that's available to me or that's what my parents did mm. or that's kind of the thing that you can see going forwards. But 
yeah, now the world is a lot more fluid and changing and evolving. And I think that's um, it presents a lot of opportunities, but also um, challenges. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I, I do I talked about my kids uh, when we were having a conversation off air, but I do worry about them sometimes thinking there's just so much choice. But then at the same time, it's quite exciting the amount of opportunities, jobs that actually didn't even exist when uh, when I was a youngster, that's for sure, you know, with social media and lots of other things. And, um, and we can kind of be anywhere now, can't we, with the power of technology? It doesn't mean that we are you know, kind of stuck in one place and we've got to find a job in that area we can we can kind of do anything anywhere so what kind of clients come to you for that um kind of therapy a huge range of people really I think it tends to be um either people who are going through a period of transition or change or kind of a big life event um and they seek out therapy in connection with that specific thing so that might be for example um an experience of grief or loss or it could be um, a change in relationship status or a change in job or moving countries something that is kind of disrupting your sense of normality that f- makes you feel yeah. like I need a bit more support to find stability in this new phase um, but it can also just be people who are generally curious about because I think existential therapy is a field that is a little bit more contemplative a little bit more reflective than mm. some other more practical fields of therapy so I think it really attracts people who are just thinking about their place in the world and what they want to do and how they want to be and you know, think, wanting to work through things like values and meaning and purpose in a place that's quite structured with someone who's kind of experienced in that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I personally think that everyone uh, could find it interesting. It's yeah, not really, a, <laughs> yeah, um, it's not really a field of therapy that is restricted to people who are experiencing a certain thing, but more just like you know, it's open to everyone. It's like general uh, life coaching, almost in a way, mm. isn't it? Kind of guidance, guidance as opposed to uh, therapy, which sounds interesting. So you touched on there that you are you had a second book deal. Have you have you written that second book? Is that finished and out? Yes, yeah. You so can. the second one was out in twenty twenty one, and my third one uh, was out this year, twenty twenty three. So you're on book three. What's the third one yeah. about? Um, it's called But Are You Alive? question mark and it's really about what we're talking about now is um, you know meaning and purpose and what it means to be fully alive I think I've always been interested in this idea of finding a really deep experience of life and for a long time I felt like I you know had achieved certain things but I didn't really feel like a deep connection to being here and being present and being fully fulfilled and I think you know that's quite a common experience with um, people who maybe lack a sense of um yeah, real connection to the things that they're doing in their lives and who they are. Um, and I've encountered a lot of people similar to me as well. And that really drove me to explore existential therapy as a field and then write about it in this book. Yeah. Fantastic. So where, if the listeners are thinking, where the hell can I get my hands on that book? Where can they go? Yeah, it should be um, anywhere good books are sold. It's in um, any Waterstones across the country um, okay. and slash or the internet, <laughs> anywhere on get the it online. Amazon, okay. yeah, audiobook, whatever. Are you alive? Question mark. Okay, it's on my next to read list. That's for sure. <laughs> it's fantastic. Are you good? Are you any plans to write any more? Yeah, I would love to. I'm working on a um, fourth idea at the moment. I actually just started a master's in existential analysis, so I'm going a little bit more down the academic route with um, the psychotherapy. But I obviously have a dissertation to write now, so I'm hoping that ho- hopefully that will be relevant to um, a more mainstream audience and I publish that in some form. Wow. Okay. You really do like to keep yourself busy and trust yourself, don't you? <laughs> what, what do you true. do to relax, Eloise? What do you do to relax? Um, <laughs> I love like um, 
dance in particular like I mentioned wanting to be a ballerina that's really been a very very consistent (laughs) passion throughout my um, entire life I love dancing so much and it's actually one of the things that when I do it I don't really think about anything else and I think you know not being a professional dancer even though I've done it pretty much my whole life dance in some form um, but not having gone down the professional route has really enabled me to just enjoy it for what it is and not worry too much about perfecting it and not put too much pressure on myself and yeah it's just such a gift now to have that as an as an adult yeah I've I've seen on your Instagram there's a couple of uh, videos of you there doing some stretches and dancing (laughs) etc it looks like uh, there's what there's one particular one which um, looks like it hurts you're you're upside down (laughs) on the wall people need to go and check that out on instagram it's a real site honestly beautiful so <laughs> what are you doing with your time day to day then at the moment so obviously you're doing the course and you've obviously got your, your psychotherapy clients to do but is there anything else that we need to know about Eloise? um what am i doing yeah i think i do a variety of things sometimes i struggle a little bit to talk about my career in terms of like this is what i am and this is what i do because I think I've really gone down a route that's like I have several different strands to the things that I'm doing and this idea of maybe like a portfolio career something I write about in the book is like this idea of having not just one thing but like a variety of things that you're interested in and maybe with a consistent theme or like with a consistent focus but different types of jobs Mm -hmm. and this is something that I think the younger generations are also really excited about and interested in because as you were saying before you know we our world is changing so much. There are so many new jobs and new ideas um, that didn't exist mm. previously. And so I love the idea of not necessarily having to just go down one route, like I'm going to be a psychotherapist or a lawyer for my whole life, but instead I'm doing this and this and this and lots of different things and yeah. keeps, keeps you interested. Yeah. I think that's a really, really valid point. And you're probably the second person this week that's kind of brought it up. It's got a name, actually. And she, she, uh, I spoke to a coach this week and uh, mm. she gave it a name wish I could remember or I'd written it Mm -hmm. down but um it was interesting because she had been in one job all of her life uh actually I worked with her which is why we were talking it wasn't for the podcast but she um she had said that uh so many more people now are kind of I guess owning up to the fact that they don't just want to do one thing they've got they think they could be an asset in this this and this and they're following that path and um my mind works overtime a billion miles an hour and I just think that 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 kind of thing would probably suit me because that would be mm-hmm. really good but that would be really good but so with that as well um yeah and here's me doing I've done a similar job for the last 20 years maybe I need to break break the mold break the mold indeed um well listen it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you if uh, I think people should check out the Instagram because there's some absolutely incredible pictures on there um I, I and it's uh Eloise Alexa is that right? Alexia, yeah. Alexia. But you should also, um, if you just search Eloise Skinner, it normally comes up as well. Yeah, fantastic. So there's some really good stuff on there. Are You Alive? The book, actually, there's a link on there to that as well. Um, And uh, yeah, I I wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, that was a lovely chat. And thank you, Eloise. Now it's over to you. Questions for me. I was going to say welcome to the podcast, but I wasn't sure if I if I really had the authority to do that because it is your podcast, of course. But um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here um, interviewing you today about your career path and really excited to learn more. So I think we're going to start with the first question, which is what did you want to be growing up? What was your first career ambition? Well, I wanted to work in a bank, Eloise, sadly. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm probably glad now that I didn't go down that path. Um, but I think for me, 
it was uh, limitations, you know, where I was, I grew up, um, and I'm not being negative about this, I had a really beautiful upbringing with a fabulous family, but I lived um, on a council estate in, in a, uh, you know, in Liverpool. <laughs> so it, we didn't, I didn't have uh, people around me who were, you know, uh, doctors or, or anything like that. And uh, I think working in a bank felt like a posh job. Right. And was that, um, did you have any particular bank in mind? Was it sort of a high street bank or you wanted to just kind of be involved in that industry? Was that the first? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in my local village, there was a bank. I think it was called the Abbey National back in the day. I think we're Santander now, aren't we? But, um, you know, the, the women walking in their in their suits looked very smart and well-dressed. And it just felt like a career as opposed to a job, which is what mm-hmm. most people around me um I, I guess had at that time everybody had a job you know everybody mm-hmm. worked hard um but I didn't really see uh massive kind of career people around me so yeah just that just a high street bank yeah it's interesting um as well because I had a similar upbringing on a council estate and you know my parents were in a completely different industry and I think it's so important now that you know young people that they're so exposed to lots of different types of careers and that's just something that I think social media and the internet has just opened up for people is like if you can't see the career, then you really, it's so difficult to aspire to it in general. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. And then take me from um, wanting to work in a bank, what happened next? So I uh, went to college. Um, in fact, I d- did a law GCSE and I knew then that I was absolutely not cut out for that because um, I wasn't bright enough for, without a shadow of a doubt. But also you had to remember so many dates and times and, and cases. So um, I did law, I did psychology, I did a few things and, and then I got a job. Um, I needed to buy a car and pay and the money took over the study. So I didn't go on to university. Um, started in in the local supermarket, Asda. Um, and then I watched as I, I, did, I did go on to do a HND in, in business and finance because I thought, well, that'll set me up for something uh, or other. Um, and then I watched that there was a graduate training scheme coming on for, you know, retail management in, in Asda. And they wanted people educated to degree level. And I thought, well, HND, you know, uh, that'll be fine. Uh, I've always been kind of ambitious and forthright and kind of a quite outspoken. So I decided to ring up the regional uh, recruitment lady. Julie Mitchell Ninnis was her name. I shall never forget. I was very young with a handful of 10 pence pieces and went up to the payphone and said, I want to be on your graduate management training scheme. And she said, computer says no. So because I didn't have a degree, they wouldn't let me do it. So I was basically doing the job and watching these graduates come in and out who just, you know, weren't cut out for this uh, retail work. And I realized then that I needed to leave. So um, as we did back in the day, Eloise, we took out the newspaper and tried to find all all the job ads. Um, And I found one and I thought, oh, it's a banking job. Let's let's go. Let's go for that. Um, And it was actually selling loans over the phone. But I did get the job. um, And something I've only done one time and never done it again since is I stood up one day um and walked out because it was just morally wrong everything about the business was morally wrong we were selling loans to people who couldn't afford them letting them give their husbands details you know and I just kept having visions of that household that evening when the husband comes home and says you know you've done what and I stood up and walked out and I was basically stood on the street thinking what now what do I do I was 21 um and I called a recruitment consultant and he said do you know Prima magazine which you may or may not remember but it was a a magazine back in the day which used to have a knitting pattern in it's very practical women's magazine and I said I think I've seen it you know um yes 
and I went for the interview and uh, got that job. And my love for magazines started right there. That it, everything um, in the careers in in someone's career path sometimes seems so like fortuitous. Like this happens, and then this, and this, mm. this leads to this. And I know at the time, I wonder if it felt kind of accidental or um, if it felt like uncertain. But looking back, does it make a bit more sense? Or how do you feel about those steps now? Because they see they seem quite you know by chance almost. Yeah, and it was. It was absolutely by chance. And I'd never used a recruitment consultant before. Um, and I went into the job just thinking, right, okay, well, I've got a job. You know, the the, the thought of, of what it was. Um, I loved the people. I think people make a really, you know, make or break a, a job or a, um, a workplace. And I went in and it was an independently owned sales house that worked on behalf of this large publisher. Um and I loved those people. They were, they allowed me to be myself. I got the best development. I have I had the best boss that I've ever had um, to date in, in that job, John, um, who kind of mentored me through in a way that um, I didn't really know I was being mentored at the time. I think that word wasn't really in existence then, or we didn't use it as much. Um, so yeah, I worked there for a few years, and I think it was only after the first few years that I really found that like I actually really loved it, and and I had I had a passion uh, for that. And Mum was really proud because it's at the back of the magazine it said, "For your classified ad, call Lindsay," and it had a telephone mm-hmm. number. She used to show her friends. It was quite mm-hmm. you know she was quite proud. Um, and it wasn't until I started to look at the, the the reps over the other side that did the field sales and the agency sales and the bigger kind of I thought, well, now my aspirations are to and and they all drove nice company cars and I thought, oh, I want one of them as well. So, <laughs> you know, the things that made me tick then do not make me tick anymore. You know, company cars, least of my contents, you know, at the moment. But um, yeah, and, and I found the love right there. And I think it was the people didn't know it was going to be a long term career then at all. Didn't expect it to be. That wasn't what it was. Uh, it felt like, yeah, a happy accident, I think. Yeah, I love that. And this was your early 20s still. Yeah, so I worked at that company uh, for quite a few years. We lost that contract after a few years. And we, you know, the way that the people around me rallied around that time felt, you know, it's cliche and it sounds a bit cheesy, but we've, we were a family. We said, nobody's losing their jobs and we're just going to find another contract and it will be okay. So the, the German publisher that uh, published Prima at the time was bought out by what you'll now know as Hearst, who do Good Housekeeping and all the magazines that you know now. Mm-hmm. Um, they bought out that and we went and pitched for the EMAP deal. So EMAP was a big publisher back in the day and it, they had um, more magazine, which, which teenagers used to read for a certain position of the fortnight. And um, also they had <laughs> Heat was just launching. So Big Brother and all of that kind of celebrity-ness had all just started really. Um, and... I wanted to work on Heat. I was like, we've got to get this contract so I can work on Heat. What a fantastic magazine. It's amazing. So uh, we did win that contract. And I only left that company because I was offered a job at Cosmopolitan. And no woman in her mid to late 20s can turn down a job at Cosmopolitan. So um, I went with my best boss's blessing and he wished me all the best. And we stayed in touch for years. But um, yeah, I I just got kind of, uh, I moved further and further on, I guess. I, I love that. I feel like it's... um. It's a really like consistent path after you find your passion. I love that you found your field and then it's kind of like step by step. It kind of just grows from there. Um, yeah. So you went to Cosmopolitan, which of course, absolutely iconic. Iconic. <laughs> yeah. Everybody who ever sees my CV or asks me about what I do or how I got from where I got, as I get to the Cosmopolitan bit, they all stop 
tell me about that. Tell me what it yeah. was like, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was great. I worked in the regional office. I didn't go to the London office that much. Actually, it was really scary being the Scouse girl going to the Cosmo London office where everybody was very beautiful, uh, you know, dressed uh, incredible. You know, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water when I went down there, but I knew I was good at what I did. So um, I, I guess that gave me lots of confidence. You know, um, we we did really well. It was back in the day when, you know, ads used to cost 10 grand a page in, that, in, in, in Cosmopolitan. We were selling half a million copies a month. You know, it was... Um, it was fantastic. It was really, really good. I was at Cosmo during the whole time. I got married, had my two children. I was there for quite some years. Um, but yeah, I think like all good things, they come to an end. And so um, your cosmopolitan time, was your passion for your career was still very much in the magazine industry? Like how would you sum up what, what your real interest was? Yeah, definitely magazines. You know, I, I know a lot of people you'll hear now saying, oh, print is dead or, you know, uh, there's no place for magazines anymore just couldn't be any further from the truth there's nothing quite like the feeling of getting a magazine sitting down and indulging in it if you find your um you know the magazine that you love and obviously half a million women a month loved cosmopolitan at the time so but the younger generation aren't used to seeing magazines so i've got them all over my house as we speak that all the time my kids are like what are they you know it's a magazine so i did love that and i think I, I think I think I thought at the time I'd reached the pinnacle, like it was cosmopolitan. You know, where'd you go after that? Um, and so I made a choice to kind of change industry for a little bit of time. So I used to have a passion for photography and um, I, I wasn't very good at it. So I knew I couldn't do it as a profession, but I really enjoyed to do it. And I got an opportunity to work for Getty Images Um which is the next best thing to being a photographer is working with the world's best photographers. So um, I did a short stint at Getty um, that structurally changed quite quickly. So I was kind of only there for about 18 months. Um, And then I come back into media, but I I kind of came back into the outdoor space. Just, it wasn't for me. I just didn't, it wasn't just selling media that I loved. It was then that I really realized it was magazines that I really, really loved. Um, Mm. And then I got the opportunity to work for um, a smaller publisher called Archant, who produce County Lifestyle magazines, Cheshire Life, Yorkshire Life, etc. Beautiful, glossy magazines. And I think then I really understood that being part of a smaller business where I could shape, form, do the layout. I mean, everything from start to finish was down to me. That's when I really, really loved it. You know, being part of the big Cosmo family was great, but um, as a... I guess a regional sales minion you know it's it there was no input or you know but now now I get to input on everything every single day and that's fantastic Mm, I love that so that's where you are right now yes unfortunately Archer was taken over about 18 months ago by a company called NewsQuest really big uh, publisher who did have a stable of their own magazines but free pickup magazines called uh, Living. And I think if, yeah. if, if we're truthful, they were probably launched as a competitor to the Life Mags. Um, but now we all are one happy family, blended family together. So um, we've got Life magazines, which are quality paid for glossy magazines. And we've got Living, which are also quality, beautifully produced magazines, but they're free pickup distribution magazines. So we have a kind of in any given market where we've got both, they sit side by side. So yeah, that's that's what I'm currently doing, looking after those. I love that. And um, how would you describe your career passion now? Like, what is it that kind of really drives you? You said about the kind of artistic control and, you know, the ability Mm. to determine how things are made up. 
Yeah, I think it's really good to be able to um, work with clients. I think when you come from a sales job, being part of a magazine brand like Cosmo uh, and the differences that kind of, um, because I'm kind of publisher, I think is probably the best way to describe it now. So I'll do the flat plan, I'll do the layout. But what really kind of, I guess, a new thing that's um, in me is to see other people develop through that and see the same passion. So we've got, I've got some people on my team who are hungry for success, want to, want to develop, have seen my journey and kind of want to take the same. And it's really, I've found a new love for trying to kind of, um, mentor people. I can use that word again is to mentor Mm -hmm. people and go through it, but I still can't get away from, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of putting a magazine together, deciding what goes in, you know, liaising with the editor, you know, speaking to our editors now is, is a, is a dream. Whereas back in the day, the editor of, um, I'm not going to say a name in case it's, you know, by chance she ever listens to this, but I, you know, and we didn't say what year it was. So, but she, she was a small lady. She was only, you know, five foot max, you know, but powerful as she entered the room, you know, it was like, everybody knew she was, et cetera. And, um, I took one of my clients down to London to meet the editor because it was like a massive big thing. Whereas my editors now will join me on calls and meetings and events all the time. Um, but we took the client all the way down to London. She stepped out, she said five or six words and then she stepped back and we were sent on our way. And I was like, we've just traveled four hours to, to see you. Um, so that, that kind of, um, all working together is what makes local, and kind of smaller magazine publishers much more attractive to me now than a the giant that was Cosmo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if someone was looking to get into your position eventually, if that was their aspiration, what advice would you give them? Work really bloody hard. <laughs> That's what mm-hmm. I would say. Um, but I think, you know, if you get in, if you find a passion and you enjoy your job and, and you've got a good team of people around you, um, you, you've kind of got to work hard. But I think the other thing to encourage, which I'm not sure the younger generation do as much is, is speak up, give your opinion, you know, because if, if nobody knows what's going on in here, they can't see how good you're going to be out there. So I think I always said, shall we try this? What about if we do this as a feature? What, what about if we do that? So I think, you know, getting in with a a good company, you've got a good basis for career development. If you're working around good people, um, I think, yeah, work really hard and don't be afraid to share your ideas. No idea is a bad idea. Yeah, I love that. And um, where do you see your career going um, in the future? Is there anything, any other goals or ambitions that you have for your future career? Um, Oh, God, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, I think where I am now is, um, you know, in this organisation, I couldn't imagine doing anything else but looking after these beautiful magazines. They are the, you know, the beat in my heart, I guess. Um, But I've obviously really loved doing this podcast in my spare time, you know, to to kind of talk to people. Um, I've been asked to be a speaker at an event in October talking about magazines and stuff like that. So I guess, you know, strings of things that are attached to the core job would be nice to kind of broaden my horizons a little bit on that front, I would think. I guess if looking at your career path as a whole from the very beginning to now, what would be some things, some main things that you've learned or like pieces of wisdom you've taken away? Oh, a really good question. Um, I, I think I keep coming back to the people. I think, you know, looking out or looking up to the right people, because there's a lot of 
wrong people, I guess, in any line of work, isn't there? Where, where you've got to be, keep really careful, work really hard, share opinions. I think that they're the things that I would take away from it. And um, don't, I, th- I think in my younger years, I was trying to kind of chase something that wasn't as important. And I think you only learn that in later life. So it's like, where was the best salary? Where was the best? But actually, you know, job happiness because it takes up what 80% of your time I mean you, you spend most of your time doing it and if you're anything like me you probably spend more like 95% of your time um doing your job so um make sure it makes you happy I love that well thank you so much I think that's um such a fascinating career journey I love I love how your passion sort of developed over time and now it's become really strong and um yeah I can see the consistencies and also you know the different paths you've explored so thank you so much for sharing that and it's been um fascinating to listen to Thank you so much for talking to me, Eloise. Thank you. Thank you for listening. That was a little scary, to say the least. Uh, It's usually me asking all the questions. I hope you found out a little bit more about me. And if you want to listen to more of these podcasts moving forward, then please do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Follow us. Thanks, everybody. 